Hi, this is Laura. And Stephen. And this is our podcast, Midday Musings, where we take our lunch break to talk about things large and small. Today, we're talking about life stages, the importance of comedy, and why doesn't our mutual friend like the same TV shows that I do? We have so much in common. It doesn't make any sense. All that and more coming at you. Let's get into it. Hey, Stephen. Hey, Laura. What's happening? Not much, just having my lunch break. What about you? I am in outer space talking to you right now from my tiny little cabin in my space shuttle on Mars. That is profoundly confusing because I can physically see you. Well, you see, sometimes what you see and what is real is actually a little bit different. So so welcome to my reality. What's up? <laughs> I'm feeling weird today, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A little um, whimsical. Fantastic. Uh, I'm... Fi- my primary feeling is tired, but I'm pushing through that with discipline. We could, we could do another bonus episode of Midday Musings today. Colon, we're tired. That was a backup name that we had thought about for this podcast, honestly. I, I think it might be playing a little bit too much into the, when you turn 30, you become very tired. But it's very true, though, so, you know, I don't know. Yeah, but I don't think it has anything to do with being 30. I think it has everything to do with the amount of stuff you have to do as a an actual, like, fully-fledged adult, which starts happening to you usually in your 30s. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And your, and your 40s, definitely. In fact, I, I'm actually dreading the 40s because... I've noticed that people do even more in their 40s than in their 30s. Like they'll be higher up in their jobs. If they have children, the children will usually be getting into an age where they're not like needing to be cared for as much, but they need to be emotionally supported, helped, managed, and taken to soccer practices. That seems like with your waning vitality, peak tired times. I think at this point, it's it's about marathoning, right? Like the important thing is to become strong enough to deal with the stuff ahead, you know? And I, I found that that kind of happens to me more in my thirties. Like I have more stuff to deal with, but I also have more capabilities to deal with them. I'm managing way more stuff than I thought I could like ever could in my twenties. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm way stronger than I was in my twenties, physically, emotionally, all of the things institutionally. But I think a thing that happens in your thirty, like it's life stage transitions. I'm actually kind of unpersuaded by the the ideas around age specifically like from 18 to 21 to 21 to 25 you're like this you're like this you're like this I think life stages are much more helpful in terms of what to expect oh totally so you are single in school single just out of school you're in a relationship out of school or in school the level of commitment in your world corresponds more more exactly to how you can expect your life to go than age groups. Like age groups are almost valueless in determining what your emotional workload is. It's really, what do you have on your plate? What, what, what yeah. What do you have on your you plate? Like the people that I know who are in their early thirties, who aren't like married with kids, they are living almost exactly the same life I was in my early twenties. Yeah. And I, I'm sure that they would agree because they don't have the, relationship weight of being with another person all the time of being like part of that team that you're kind of you you just have yourself to worry about and while that has loneliness 
and logistical challenges, no question. You also don't have the the weight of another person's constant presence, so you tend to have more energy. I remember that How I Met Your Mother had this one episode where they talked about couples coma and singles stamina. Mm -hmm. I remember that vividly. Yeah. I like I've observed it to be true and like there's science behind it. When you get into a couple, what happens is is your body rhythms kind of synchronize and you start to get sleepy around each other. I believe it's a hormonal response to feeling safe, but you do get sleepy. Like you're a lot sleepier. And when you're single, maybe you're running on adrenaline or maybe you're just not getting that chemical depressant into your brain. And these people just like fly around. They have like buckets of interesting hobbies. They're always doing something. I, I really admire them. They're like, like stallions <laughs> running in the fields, like without, without any, any unseen hindrances, just boom. Running wild through the fields with boundless energy. With boundless energy. In my 20s when I was single. Like you never, you never stop and you never think about the fact that you're only getting three hours of sleep a night for college. And I, I do agree. I think it's more to do with life stages than with age because people, you know, that I, that I know that had kids very early, mm. they achieve that tiredness state earlier on or people who've oh, yeah. been in like long-term relationships from like their early 18s to mid 20s. They also were kind of sleepy. They're like, hello. They were super fun to be around, but they were just like, yeah, I'm here. I'm living my life. You know, me and my girlfriend, wife, boyfriend, whatever, we hang out, we watch, we watch a lot of movies, we, we sort of kick back, you know, and those same people, you know, having, you know, aged a little bit, and some of them now more recently single, they have a lot more energy, again, but also have the, the loneliness that may come with being, being single. So I think it's a trade off, you know? Yeah, neither is better or worse. The two energies have different pros and cons. Yeah. Typically, what I've noticed with people who have been like, comfortably coupled for a long time, if you're in their energy field, it's a very calm, stable, mellow energy. It doesn't make you sleepy. Mm -hmm. It makes you feel like you have a solid foundation. It's yeah. like you're sitting on a rock and you're like, excellent. This is a lovely rock. When I've been single, that's an energy I very much enjoyed being around. I still enjoy it now. But oh, yeah, yeah. I was like, I want that. That seemed really nice <laughs> when I was single. Absolutely. And when when you have single friends, they have this really dynamic vital energy and such an interest in what's going on outside themselves it's really nice to be around and i think the two energies are symbiotic which i think is why we have we as a couple who have been together for quite a long time have so many single friends who like to hang out with us because we have that sort of like mountainy stable calming energy and we like them because they bring this this dynamism to us Oh, that, that's really, really great to to add into into our lives. We we complement each other, and I think that's sort of the the whole human society thing, writ small. Yeah, like you you have opposing energies that together are synergistic. I I certainly like having single friends for that reason, and no, um, I I do appreciate how stable couple friends can be, because. If you like even one person in a couple, you're like, excellent. We'll just do this couple thing together and we'll go in twos and sixes and eights. And it's all very stable because someone in each, in each unit is holding on to someone else in the other unit and it stabilizes the whole unit. 
it's a beautiful thing. Again, like you are like having couple friends, but I also like having single friends. You know, I don't, I feel like sometimes people who, who couple up, they only hang out with other couples or people who are single only hang out with single people. Mm-hmm. I like, I like mixing it up because sometimes your single friends will bring opportunities to you, or even if they're recently coupled up, they're still, they still have the knowing of the environment and the energy of being somewhat recently single. Mm-hmm. And they bring interesting parties and interesting concepts and interesting like events to your way. Like that couple that we met at Halloween time that told us about an actual Dewalloween that was happening and this like Fremont club that they were going to go to that opens, opens their doors at nine. And I'm like, Oh wow. Okay. That's, that's like, that's, that's late, but respect, you know, it sort of, it pushes you outside your comfort zone a bit, which is important at all stages of life, I would say. Oh yeah. You need other people to pull you out of yourself. That, that is the nature of being human. Whenever, whenever I think about the idea of isolation, it's not even physical isolation. It's, it's always you getting inside your head. Mm. Human beings are social creatures. We are designed to require other people and it behooves us to interact with people who aren't like us. Absolutely. Just like stir up that that little mental pot. So often, and I'm guilty of this, everyone, everyone living today is guilty of this because we have if we're in our physical lives, then we are we are bound by regional limitations. And in our digital lives, we are bound by um, little algorithms that mm-hmm. keep us in in an area with people like us. Oh yeah. What I love is going out into the world and talking to people about their digital footprint. I'll be like, what have you been seeing on the internet? Yeah. It's always it's often different than what I'm seeing on the internet. Then there is the additional fun of finding someone who has the same internet as you, where it's like, oh, you're also seeing all of those posts <laughs> of this particular type with this particular opinion. Okay. We live in the same ecosystem. We live in the same digital ecosystem, mm-hmm. which means we are probably much more alike by a number of different metrics than any of these other people. Mm-hmm. And then you talk to other people and they're like, oh, I'm seeing the exact opposite of you from the exact opposite angle. I am from the opposing camp <laughs> based on what I'm telling you I see in, in my digital space. And that's A, a great early warning sign. Yeah. And B, just nice to know that the monolith of what you see online is not the monolith of what everyone else is seeing. Totally. And I do like uh, finding people who have very differing opinions from myself, whether it's, you know, definitely if it's something low stakes like media, TV, mm. or just music, because it it gives you a unique perspective. I actually love finding people that hate things that I love because it just gives you a full perspective. Like, so well, why don't you like this particular TV show or movie or song? And they're like, because of this and this. And you're like, okay, well, I don't agree, but it I, I see your point. For me, that's actually a pro. Like the thing you mm-hmm. called out sometimes is a pro to the person who likes it, even if it's a con to the person who doesn't like it. And I just, I, I like that. But yeah, sometimes politically it can be a little, it can be a little stressful when you find people from the opposite camp who are like firmly opposite camps. Yeah, who who live in like that complete ecosystem. Like I, as I go through life, I'm very aware of how Mm -hmm. biased my uh, algorithmic ecosystem is. I see it, I know, but not everyone is as aware of that. So when you find people who come from other other digital camps and they express a lack of awareness, 
that their their little um, echo chamber isn't the only one in the entire world. That's fascinating. Yeah. Lo- I loved having that conversation once. Mm-hmm. I also love investigating differences with our friends, mm-hmm. like people who we know deeply and who I I am of the opinion I'm quite similar to. One one friend we have in common, you know, I I won't say his name, but we've known him since college. We we lived with him briefly. He's big mega nerd like me. And I I believe that we have so very much in common and we think so many of the same things. But then I'll talk to him about a piece of media and he he does not like what I like. Mm-hmm. And it it challenges every assumption I have about reality. Yeah. Because I'm like, wait, if we're so similar, how can how can what we love be so different? I'm going to I'm going to call him Hank. That's not his okay. name, but for the sake of his privacy, I'm going to call him Hank. But it is it is surprising, right? Because it's just like, oh, we have these similar opinions about this, but then like the media doesn't overlap. But I think we just it's I think he just doesn't watch as much media as we do, or maybe doesn't watch as much of the same media as we do. Because we spend a lot of time watching media, honestly. Like, it may be more than the average person amount of time. I know I do. Did you, before we got together, did you watch as much media as you no, do now? No, I didn't. I thought that might be the case. <laughs> I like media, but I, I, you know, I did other things too. But now, <laughs> now what I do was I get up and I find the best TV show to watch, and I watch all of it for the next three days straight. I get, I don't go to work, I don't do anything else. I just watch the best TV show out there, even if it's unpopular. I watch it, and then I talk about it. That's what I do. I'm kidding. That's an exaggeration, but I do watch a lot more media now that we're together. So I think that that's probably your influence, actually. I mean, that probably is. Me and every single member of my family consumes more media than. <laughs> anyone else I've ever met in my life yeah and we use it as as our way of as sort of a lens to the world too so it's not it's not like entertainment to us it's it's so much more it's education it media I almost feel like is my family's religion It, it really is in a lot of ways it really is your family's religion one thing I remember when we were early on in our relationship personally remarking on your stamina your stamina around being able to consume media, like she's really can just just double down and just watch like this whole show over the course of like four days. I was like, okay, all right, I I can get there, but I wasn't I wasn't quite there yet. You have to build up that stamina, honestly. That's probably true. The thing about Hank and me, though, <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, we love Hank. We love Hank. we love Hank. Hank Hank, we love so very much. And if your name is actually Hank and we know you later on, this is someone else. What I what I think the major divergence between our tastes is comedy. Mm. Like I take comedy so seriously and I consume comedic content with a voraciousness that I, I honestly haven't seen in any other person. And that's not saying me special. That's saying why me do this no you it's strange because to me everyone should be consuming comedy all of the time it's good for your mental health and it also just makes you more fun to talk to because you you sort of get the pattern of making jokes and everybody loves jokes everybody loves stories everybody loves funny stories that you tell as jokes yeah 
but but Hank does not do the comedy. He's very serious. Succession is the the archetype of all the shows that he watches. Like House of Cards was another one mm-hmm. that he and his partner watched. And that is that is heavy content. I I'm I obviously have watched Succession and House of Cards and I appreciate it. But the things that I watch over and over tend to be comedy. Yeah. Like I've I've watched 30 Rock hundreds of times. Like literally I'm going to watch it hundreds of times more. Oh yeah. I grew up watching SNL repeats on Comedy Central. I watched all of those stand-up acts that they had on Comedy Central. I've watched Shit's Creek dozen a dozen times good place community crazy ex-girlfriend just a lot of comedy and the reason that i love it so much is that it tells truth in a palatable way there's more profundity in comedy in my opinion than even in drama drama's great like drama's perfect for emotional catharsis comedy is excellent for perspective Mm, yeah yeah, and one thing I've noticed about you in particular is that I've seen shows or movies with you where it's really popular, it's supposed to be really good, and because it's too intense or or if it's intense if it's very intense it doesn't have any comedy or it has like very very little comedy, it can be hard for you to get there sometimes. You're like this is fine, but there's an opportunity for a joke here after this really the, like this really intense, serious part of the show, they could have, there was totally several jokes that would have really brought it back up and would have added some interesting levels. I think you're interested in levels in in shows. If, if they're serious, they need some levels. They need some levity. They, they need some silliness because honestly, Succession, even though it is very serious. It's very it, funny. It has a ton of, cute, a ton of humor in it. Yeah. yeah. Same thing with Mad Men, right? Yeah. Like very serious, in a dictionary where it says prestige television, yeah. you will see Mad Men pictured next to it. But Mad Men is hilarious. Yeah, it is. It is. But I didn't realize it was funny at first. I thought this is a very serious show for very serious people. And then I watched it over your shoulder. I said, wait a second. What is why, what is that? This is way funnier than I expected. And success, the one, one joke I remember in Succession that I just really, really enjoyed is when one of the executives is being um, approached about a campaign. And they're they're telling him, hey, we we have to change our campaign slogan. We're we're listening because <laughs> it turns out we are in fact, in some cases, very aggressively listening. Like our <laughs> their devices were always on and listening to people constantly, and it was a problem because they were releasing that product and this this statement at the same time. So they said we have to change our slogan, and I just I loved that that like the aid coming to coming to the executive and like just like it's clearly a joke but also you're referring to tom and greg yes tom and in, greg. in succession tom having that greg. conversation thank you uh, around yeah the slogan for the new product yeah we hear you we hear like you. we hear for you we <laughs> i forgot where they ultimately fell but it was not proper grammar uh it was just <laughs> it was just to circumvent the possibility that they could be held liable for knowing that their product yes. could uh, had capacity had the capability to completely deprive you of your privacy auditorily. Yeah. yeah, I think they they went through a couple iterations. It was like, all right, so first it was we hear you, and then we said, well, we can't we can't say that. How about we hear for you? <laughs> <laughs> like we hear for you. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think Matthew McFadden is, I believe, the actor who plays Tom and notably also Darcy in Ang Lee's Pride and Prejudice, the best one. I, I, I will take alternative uh, perspectives on this because we all know that every production of Pride and Prejudice has, has something to offer you. But when I watched Pride and Prejudice with Matthew McFadden, I remember thinking to myself, he seems like a really funny dude. <laughs> like none of that is being displayed right now, but there's something about him that seems deeply silly. Oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. T- to watch him like become his full, to really, to really display his comedy chops in Succession is probably my favorite thing about Succession. Like there's nothing but wonderful things to say about this show, obviously. But it's the comedic performance of Tom that is, it, it's electric. Like you, you can't help but watch him in every scene. I also really like, okay, so the morning show oh, on Apple, yes. we still need to watch season three because it's out. Um, but we've watched season one and season two. I bring it up because Billy Crudup is in it doing his silliest character I've ever seen. Oh yeah, the the TV executive. Yeah. He's, he really pulls it pulls it together on that one. Yeah. I've had older female members of my family go gaga over Billy Crudup and I could never see it until the morning show when he was being a silly little man. And then I was like, "Oh no, I okay. Yeah, I get it. I see this." You just needed him to be funny. <laughs> I have such difficulty connecting to people who are, well, to products that aren't funny. It yeah. feels unreal to me. Like I live in the world. I, I run around the world. I talk to people. I eavesdrop kind of a lot in, in a loving pro-social way. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And I have never heard a conversation between two people who have any level of acquaintance that didn't contain a joke. Like you might interact with strangers without humor. But that's because it's a practical interaction. Any social interaction contains jokes. So you, you watch movies and shows that are without jokes. And I'm like, this feels like bad writing. This feels like a writer who doesn't know what life is like. It's like it's built in a vacuum. Like it's not representative of how people actually interact if they know each other. Yeah, like you can't sustain a conversation without a little bit of like the positive quality of humor, like even just laughing. Um, I remember listening to an NPR show like 10 years ago that was talking with an academic in linguistics who was studying laughter as a utility, like what's laughter for? Because it's not just to respond to humor and it's, it's not, it's, it performs a lot of functions. And the primary function that it performs in socialization is like emotional management of the group. So if things get too intense, you laugh to to relieve tension. You use laughter to communicate you mean no harm. Humor and laughter has so much social utility. You just can't subtract it Mm -hmm. from interactions, normal human interactions, because that's that's not how we roll. Yeah, it almost seems weird when it's when it's not present right like Mm -hmm. this doesn't seem like a regular like a normal conversation because there would be something funny at some point because that's what we do we talk to people we make jokes or we make mistakes and exactly with those jokes just to to kind of add some levity because honestly people i find that people get bored if you only have one type of um interaction throughout like even if you're only telling jokes people can even get exhausted with that they're like all right 
Like, I, I need a little bit of like seriousness to counter People this. People need variety. They, they need, need red variety. light, green light. They totally do. I've really learned the importance of humor, not mm-hmm. just in the media, but also in interactions just out and about, you know? I, I was never very good at it. I, dad jokes all day. Like, that mm-hmm. was my sense of humor. And I still have it, but I noticed there's a way different reception to dad jokes, like a social reception. Mm-hmm than when you tell an actual joke because we all know dad jokes and puns are they're they're meant to be bad like they're not meant to be good and they they serve a different function in a way than an actual joke it's like your your social status it's like you kind of punch at yourself when you do a dad joke or it's self-deprecating yeah it's self-deprecating in a way and so it serves the function of making other people comfortable but it doesn't necessarily make them relax as much as like when you tell another kind of joke, I find people kind of lean in more. Like they sort of, they sort of go, oh, you're funny. Not, oh, you just told a dad joke. Like there's a different quality there. I think what you're identifying is uh, cringe humor. Um, oh, dad yeah, jokes, yeah. they're not all of cringe, but I think they are a subcategory of cringe humor. And uh, cringe humor, uh, it, it's popular with certain people but it is not mass appeal mm-hmm. humor and you don't have to have mass appeal no. humor but it, like if your goal is to have a social interaction that is two thumbs up for everyone involved you normally want to go towards a more buoyant type of humor that uh, sort of observational humor i find to be the most effective because mm-hmm. it's like hey look at us sharing this space and seeing the same thing and making a funny comment about the thing that we can all like identify with it's it's almost coalition building oh yeah to do observational humor and situational humor i still remember some of the times we walked you and i've walked through museums and you'll just casually point out random things in these paintings that if if you hadn't mentioned i would have just said oh there is a renaissance era painting how beautiful and i guess you know fancy but you're like no that 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 girl's holding a snake in a cup and, and she cre- was. And you created this whole narrative about someone someone in the painting going, hey, what are you doing? You can't you can't bring that snake in here. And the girl's like, well, no, he's in a cup. He's fine. <laughs> and it, like, it was just like it was situational. It was observational. But like it, it it was just it painted those paintings in a whole different light. I was like, holy cow, a lot of this is funny. A lot of these like random, even very serious paintings have some super silly elements. If you like if you look at it through like the lens of comedy. Oh, definitely. I was playing. Uh, yeah. Um, but also I do have like a background in art history, so I, I can I can play hard in a museum. Oh yeah. But that's the thing about human beings. What distinguishes us from other animals, aside from all the other things, is that we play more. We're really, really playful. And that that playfulness has generated society. Like we pretended things into existence. Yeah. All of it really. That. But playfulness engages the imagination and it engages the the human spirit, for lack of a better term. It just turns turns the human being on. Oh yeah. They're like, oh, oh, are we are, we're having fun. We're having fun. We're doing a thing. Okay, cool. Let's do it. Get into it. And that to me, that that makes me feel alive. So I watch the comedy, I make the comedy with my mouth, and I go to museums and make jokes. Yeah. And honestly, I love it. And I'm sure the people who've been around us have 
either enjoyed it or tolerated it and probably loved it too. Yeah, know? I've been tolerated by thousands of people in my life. I <laughs> <laughs> more for the dead, but plus nowadays. But anyway, that said, uh, I, I think this might be a good good time for us to to segue out. Um, really enjoyed talking with you about humor, succession, and uh, just media relationships, all of the above. Um, again, thanks for thanks for hanging out and being chill. I really really enjoy our talk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks for stopping by, spending your lunch break with me. Yeah. I'll check you later. All right, listeners. See you later. Bye. Bye. This has been Stephen and Laura. Thanks for tuning in to Midday Musings, the podcast where we talk about all things large and small. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and look out for polls and Q&As in future. We'd love to hear from you. Share your thoughts and reactions with us on Spotify and on social media. Catch you next lunch break.